I talk to so many moms who say, Brooke, I want to pray for my kids. I just don't know how to start. That's exactly why I wrote my digital resource, How to Pray God's Word for Your Children. It's your how-to guide, giving you a very short, simple, step-by-step process for how I first started praying God's Word. Download it right away, and I'm not joking, you'll be praying God's Word by this afternoon. All you need is a Bible, a notebook, and a pencil, or your phone, if you prefer, somewhere to create a short list. You can find that freebie in today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Unfortunately, we live in a world where difficulties, abuse, and even betrayal happens on a daily basis. This Bible verse is perfect to pray for your children and yourself. Having walked through her own story of betrayal, author Jennifer Lynn Heck knows firsthand the importance of this prayer. She writes about it in her book, Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace, available on Amazon. In the book, she shares what can happen when we become vulnerable and how God enables us to victoriously overcome. Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace is written as the story of Victoria Grace, a young woman born with a crippling physical disability who experiences betrayal but overcomes and receives the healing only God can give. It's designed with beautiful, full-color pages, and Bible passages are creatively interwoven into the story. Discover how you and your family can use what Jennifer calls the Word-Activated Response Strategy in prayer to defeat Satan's deception and attacks and receive hope and encouragement in your own fiery trials. Get your copy of Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace now on Amazon. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Million Praying Moms podcast. My name is Brooke McLaughlin, and we are here to make prayer the first and best response to the challenges of parenting, a partnership between you and the God who loves your children more than you do. Together, we're learning to pray God's word for our children in the areas they need it most. Not all blended families are a result of divorce. Sometimes we find ourselves faced with a different future than we planned because of the death of a spouse. Because this kind of loss is completely different from any other topic we've covered so far, I thought it deserved an entire episode all to itself. And when I thought about who would be the best to lead us in this conversation, someone who would bring such grace to it, being honest about the pain, but pointing the finger straight to Jesus, I couldn't think of anyone better than my friend Darina Lazo Gilmore Young. Darina is a mama to three strong and smart girls. She's also a speaker, a podcaster, Bible teacher, and a multi-published author. Her newest book, Breathing Through Grief, is a devotional journal that walks the reader through a deeper experience of God's mercy and grace in the face of a loss. As a remarried widow, Darina helps people chase after God's glory on life's unexpected trails and flourish in their God-given callings. Darina and her husband, Sean, live in California, although she lived for a while very close to me here in Virginia, and I can't wait for you to hear from her today. Darina is actually the author of our prayer guide to accompany this season, 
Praying God's Word for Your Blended Family. In it, you'll find biblical teaching on the heart of the blended family and scripture-inspired prayers for your family to trust in the Lord to provide for all of your needs. Wait on the Lord to give you His best. Develop strong and lasting relationships. Overcome pain and brokenness from losses. And walk into your future confidently trusting God's plan. Download your copy now when you visit today's show notes at MillionPrayingMoms.com. After a word from our sponsors, we'll dive into this important conversation. Well, Zarina, welcome to the show. I believe that this is your first time joining us on the Million Praying Moms podcast, and I'm so excited to have you with us. I just love watching what you're doing and the way that you're serving the kingdom. So because you haven't been on before, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your family. We're going to get into the details of your family a little bit more in a few minutes, but just give us a bird's eye view of your family and uh, your ministry. Thanks, Brooke. I'm honored to be here. I am a mom of three girls. My girls are tween and teenagers, so 12, 14, and 17. So I'm in the senior year for the mama life, um, getting my girl ready to go to college and launch her, my first baby. And I also live in Central California. I'm a remarried widow, and we're going to share a bit about that story, I know. And I also have close relationship with extended family. So my parents live here in town close to me. I also am close with my mother-in-law. So my late husband's mom who lives in town and then my husband, Sean's mom. So I mentioned that because we're in that kind of sandwich generation of raising kids and also caring for and coming alongside the older generation as well. I totally understand that. My husband and I have been married for 20 years. Our oldest son, we just graduated him last year. So I'm just a year ahead of you in that endeavor. And it has all the feels associated with it. I know you get that. (laughs) It is doable. You can survive it, I promise. But we also have my parents just up the road. My dad is 87. And we have my husband's dad just down the road. And he is like 83 or four, I think. So I definitely understand. And my mom is 10 years behind my dad. So I totally understand the season of life that you're in. And I'm glad to have you speaking with us today. We also found out recently that we kind of have something in common. If you remember, you were going to school and I was probably living less than 10 miles from you when you were in school, but we had no idea, like had no knowledge of each other during that time, which was kind of fun. So even though we live on opposite ends of the country now, isn't it fun how God brings together those things in ways that we would never have imagined? I love that connection. Yes. Roanoke, Virginia. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. We're talking today about learning to trust the Lord after a significant loss, after something that you could never have been prepared for and never have imagined that your life would, you know, take this road. And your story is so beautiful of the way that you trusted the Lord and the way that the Lord has provided for you in the midst of it. So if you could just open us up with that story, with the story of your loss and how it impacted you and how it impacted your girls. Rick, I'm going to take you to the specific day where I feel like the trajectory of my life changed. I remember I was standing in a community garden in downtown Fresno, where I live. My girls were going to a little charter school and we were on a field trip and we were gardening. 
And I got this phone call from my husband and I knew that it was going to be an important day because he was getting some results on some tests that he had done. He had a bump on his hip that had been growing and we thought it was a sports injury, um, just guided by some different specialists. And then I got the phone call from him and he was just for context, a very loud, funny, gregarious guy. He made his presence known when he walked into the room. But on the other end of that phone call, I heard a very hushed, quiet voice. And I remember my husband saying to me, melanoma cancer, stage four. And I just sunk to my knees because I had no frame of reference for what a journey of cancer would look like. I was completely shocked because my husband was a healthy triathlete, you know, CrossFit coach, nutrition teacher, like all the things. So cancer was not anything we ever imagined. And in that time, honestly, just fell to my knees in desperation. I was like holding a diaper bag and water bottles for the kids. And I just remember thinking, I can't even hold it together right now. And so kind of fast forwarding through that journey, you know, that day, that weekend, we had friends and family and our life group who came to our home. We prayed together. We started to think about what in the world kind of impact a stage four cancer diagnosis would have on our family. And my husband and I were directors of a nonprofit organization that connected resources to the country of Haiti. So we were splitting our time then between Haiti and California we had several trips planned. We were going to host teams over the summer. You know, we were kind of at the end of the school year and just everything came to a screeching halt. Um, and he wasn't really in a lot of pain at that point. So it was just even hard to believe that this was our future. But throughout that summer, his body deteriorated very quickly. And within three short months, my husband went to heaven. And so here I was, you know, age 37 with three kids, ages two, five, and eight, and all the things that I ever had dreamed of and planned were just kind of thrown out the window. And mm -hmm. what I knew is that God was true and that he was faithful. And he was with me every step of that journey. That is one thing I knew. I did not know much <laughs> about the future or what this was going to look like or how to be a single mom or my career, or who was going to pay our medical bills. I did not know those things, but I knew that our God was faithful. And I had seen Amen. it in our marriage and our life before. And so I carried that kind of confidence, even in my trembling spirit, I carried that confidence into the future. I'll say that much, but feel free to ask any follow-up questions. No, that's so good. That's so, so good. I would like to think that each of us could go into something of that nature, something that devastating, because it was a whirlwind. It seems like, you know, you had three months. That's nothing. That's no time to prepare or say goodbye or even to hope for a miracle. That's the part that strikes me in your story is how quickly all of this happened. Mm. And in the midst of all that, you say, I was able to trust the Lord, at least on some level, to be faithful to me because I had seen him be faithful before. So I really think that that's what it boils down to for most of us. Anytime we go through something very difficult, I find it now 
at age 45. I don't want to use the word easier because I don't feel like that's fair, but I find that I am able to trust the Lord a little easier, a little better, a little more faithfully, maybe that's the word, than I was 10 years ago or than I was 20 years ago because I know him more now, because I've seen him be faithful to me and to my children and in my life. After a word from our sponsor, we'll dive into this important conversation. Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Unfortunately, we live in a world where difficulties, abuse, and even betrayal happens on a daily basis. This Bible verse is perfect to pray for your children and yourself. Having walked through her own story of betrayal, author Jennifer Lynn Heck knows firsthand the importance of this prayer. She writes about it in her book, Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace, available on Amazon. In the book, she shares what can happen when we become vulnerable and how God enables us to victoriously overcome. Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace is written as the story of Victoria Grace, a young woman born with a crippling physical disability who experiences betrayal, but overcomes and receives the healing only God can give. It's designed with beautiful, full-color pages, and Bible passages are creatively interwoven into the story. Discover how you and your family can use what Jennifer calls the Word-Activated Response Strategy in prayer to defeat Satan's deception and attacks and receive hope and encouragement in your own fiery trials. Get your copy of Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace now on Amazon. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Would you share, like, were there any specific things leading up to this? What gave you that ability? What instances gave you the ability to say, I know God's going to be faithful to me here? Because I think without an experience of God being faithful, it's very difficult to believe that God's going to be faithful, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good reflective question. And as I think back, God was building a foundation in my heart before any of this happened, even though I felt like I was sucker punched in the gut, even though I felt like it was just out of nowhere. Um, as I look back, even, you know, three, five years before that, I know that God was doing some significant things in me, in my faith. Um, one of the things I'll mention is just establishing a practice of gratitude. Um, so some of your listeners may be familiar with this book. It's called One Thousand Gifts by Anne Voskamp. It was yes. a huge bestseller book. It is a book that changed my life. And I read that book, gosh, maybe three years before my husband passed. And a friend of mine had gifted it to me in a different hard season. And actually, my late husband and I were on a journey of adopting kids from Haiti. And we were in the thick of all the paperwork and the craziness that goes with that. And then we found out we were pregnant with our third child. And at the time, 
Haiti would not allow you to adopt if you had more than two biological kids. So we had spent all this time. We were on this trajectory. We believed that God was opening this door for us to adopt these kids from Haiti. And then again, everything just was Mm -hmm. like halted. And I'm sharing this because now as I look back, I realize that God was doing something so important in my life in that time. And so reading 1000 Gifts, learning through Ann Voskamp and her story of suffering, what it looks like to every day wake up and to count your gifts, to write them down, to have your eyes open to the ways that God is working. And whether that's in the mundane of motherhood or in the midst of profound suffering, that he is there. And so I had this practice and you could look on my Facebook, you could look on my blog. I was counting gifts for those, you know, solid, you know, two plus years before this diagnosis ever came. And so it was interesting that I had that practice in place. And I believe that that was something that the Lord was knitting in my spirit, you know, even before we faced this tragedy. I think the other thing too was just, you know, we worked on the mission field. We were directors of this nonprofit organization in Haiti. And there was a lot of opposition that we felt. There were a lot of challenges We absolutely loved the work. We believed we were called to it. We love the Haitian people. They were our family. And at the same time, I felt like I was always on a roller coaster. And so it was trusting God in the midst of conflict, in the midst of times where we did not have money in our bank account to even buy groceries. I mean, just things that we had experienced together as a couple And we found God to be faithful over and over again. And so that's kind of the track record that God had with me so that when this wild diagnosis that we were not expecting came, I was scared out of my mind. But I also had a foundation of faith that was built on trusting the Lord through a lot of hard things. Mm -hmm. I think your story, while the details of it are very different, it reminds me of the story of a dear friend of mine that I've written about before. Her name's Tracy Lane, and she lost her son in the Virginia Tech shootings. You know, that's pretty much in my back yard here where I live. And Tracy, her children and I grew up in church together. My husband and I were the youth leaders. It was actually before we were married, but we were the youth leaders one summer. And we had Jarrett, her son, in our youth group. We knew this family. I went to high school with the oldest member of their family of the children. I asked Tracy one time what gave her the strength to not lose her faith in that, like having the worst possible thing that she could think of happen. How did you not turn against God? How did you not lose your ability to have faith in him? And she said, I had already built my house. I had already built my foundation on the truth of God's word before that storm hit. And that's how, when the storm hit, my house didn't fall. And I I just, that's always been so profound to me that really it is truly about building your house on the rock. It is truly about having that deep root in the Lord so that when the storms hit, even those storms that threaten to completely knock us off course and may actually turn us on, on a completely different course, they can't take us away from the faith that we've seen over and over and over again. Your story reminds me so much of hers in that way. I wonder how it impacted your girls. 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, like I mentioned, my girls were young. They were babies. They were two, five, and eight. And so what we know to be true about kids is that they are unique and God Mm -hmm. designed each of them uniquely. And whenever I talk about grief, I also try to reiterate that point that we all grieve uniquely. And it is so important to keep that in mind because it helps us to have grace with each other when we don't respond the same way, we don't act the same way. And so I watched my kids all process their grief in very different ways. And then I was grieving. And then we had, you know, our family that we mentioned. I'm very close with my family, his mom, my parents, you know, others around us. And then we had this even like larger concentric circle around us because we were missionaries and nonprofit directors. We had multiple churches and communities around the country and really around the world who had supported us on our journey with Haiti. So not only was I grieving, my girls were grieving, but people were watching us grieve. And that's it an interesting kind of unique experience as well. But to get back to the kids, you know, there's some unique things that I just observed in my girls. My little one, she was so young, you know, she was still a toddler. And one of the things that I remember that she used to do is we would be in the car, she'd be in her car seat and she would just be singing up a storm. And she would like make up these narrative songs about her dad. And it was so interesting to me, Brooke, because it was like, God was using music to help her process. It Mm. still makes me emotional as I think about it because it's so beautiful the way that God was with her in those moments. And, you know, she was working out her theology. She was, she was like saying, you know, God, my daddy has this bump on his leg and is he in heaven now? Are you going to take it away now? Does he have a new body? Like, you know, all these crazy questions. And sometimes I'd want to like pause her and be like, okay, well, let me talk to you about that. You know, like, let me correct your (laughs) theology. But at the end of the day, I realized how beautiful it was that God gave her music and, and he gave her worship to enter into that in a way that was so much better than someone sitting her down and trying to answer all the questions, you know? And then my middle daughter, we used to call her our tissue paper girl because she was so fragile and she was Mm -hmm. so willing to share her tears, to share her emotion with all of us. And that was also a gift. She's also my kid who is so good at coming into a situation and seeing people and seeing where they're at and meeting them where they're at. I mean, we loved it when we were traveling back and forth between countries because, you know, sometimes we'd have language barriers or whatever, but Giada was over in the corner in the airport with like her whole little gathering of kids and families and grandmas and grandpas who she had befriended. (laughs) So that was just something that I saw in her grief that she gathered community and she made it safe, even though she was suffering for us to suffer along with her. And I'm so grateful for that. And my oldest is maybe what you would call like the typical responsible firstborn child. She was eight years old. And so she was by my side at all times. She was helping me with all the things. She was orchestrating what her sisters needed to be doing. And her way of kind of entering into the grief really was through pictures and videos Uh, which is interesting to me because she ended up, you know, studying some video. Now she's working for the student newspaper. And I see how God allowed that to be a point of connection for her in her grief and learning how to process her grief, which is let's sit and look at the pictures of daddy. Let's listen to his voice on the videos. Let's remember who he is and who he was. 
And so I'm sharing that because those are three really different examples of how my girls process. And now they're teenagers and even in new stages of development, learning how to process that loss, that profound loss. Boy, you made me weepy too, just thinking about how personal God is. And isn't that just so precious, the way that God does that? I think when my boys were young, I thought that they were going to be just alike. Our boys are close in age. They're 23 months apart. And they certainly share some you know, characteristics in common, but they are radically different children. And I realized early on that I needed to I needed to allow them to experience the world as they are and to experience God the way that he made them. And I've often prayed, Lord, you know, in certain situations, Lord, would you speak to his heart? Because you know it better than I do, because you created it. And as well as I feel like I know my child, God, you created him and you know him so much better. So that is just a beautiful example of watching for the way that the Lord was ministering to your children. I think sometimes in the midst of the busyness of life, in the midst of our grief, we might be tempted to miss that because we're experiencing ourselves, our own pain, our own view of looking at the world. But God was so kind to you to let you see that. So I just love that so much. What are some of the immediate ways that you found yourself needing to trust the Lord after the death of your husband? Well, I think just because of the life stage we were in, I had to trust him for a lot of the everyday practical things. I mean, I didn't have my partner in ministry, my partner in parenting, even finances. We had upwards of $75,000 worth of medical debt that we had to pay. And so those were things that I was like, okay, Lord, <laughs> you have to have a plan here mm-hmm. because, you know, I was not going to be able to pay those bills or even just physically and emotionally be able to care for these girls. And, you know, that's the place where I saw God show up time and time again. The provision that he had for our family was something like I just, I couldn't even dream up. I couldn't even make up. You know, the medical bills is just one example where we had community who came alongside us. We had people who did, you know, like an auction. We had people who donated. We had churches that I didn't even know who they were who like sent me a manila envelope in the mail with cash and checks in it to go Mm -hmm. towards our medical bills. I mean, people that I talked to on the phone from the hospital who literally were like, Oh, your husband died? Okay. Well, I just want you to know that we're not going to make you pay this bill. And it was like a $10,000 bill. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. Mm -hmm. Brooke, I did not pay one penny of those medical bills. Only Jesus could do that. It's only Mm -hmm. God's kind of fuzzy math, as I like to say, (laughs) that could make that happen. And, you know, I don't want people to think, oh, you know, well, if God's not providing the money for me, then he must not be answering me. That I'm just using that as an example for my own life. Like there's so many times where we we did suffer through hard things and the answer wasn't that clear, but I saw the way that he showed up especially through community. And I've written about this quite a bit, but I like to call it community life insurance. My husband invested in community. He was a teacher. He was a coach. He was the director of this nonprofit. He cared deeply for the vulnerable. And so through his life, he cared for people. And then I saw God take that investment. And then that investment had dividends for us, for the girls and me. 
people who were like, I'm going to pay your grocery bill. Or, you know, like I went one time to an eye doctor and I just picked his name out of the phone book and I went in there and I knew it was going to be several hundred dollars to buy my contact lenses. And he said at the end of the exam, he said, I just want you to know that your husband was my daughter's PE teacher Mm. and you're not going to pay for these contact lenses today because of the investment that he made in my daughter's life. And it was like, I couldn't even have made that up, right? It just shows that two things, the power of God to do creative things to provide for us, and also that community, that flourishing together in community is how we were designed. And so I'm very passionate about sharing that because the way that I survived is because I had people all around me who were lifting me up. You know, it makes me think of in our world today, we have forgotten how much we need God. It is so easy to forget and not realize because we're so self-sufficient and we are so good at providing for ourselves. And we ask ourselves in the midst of that, why can't I see the hand of God? Why don't I see a burning bush or why don't I see God part the waters? And I think in part, the answer to why we don't see God act in the same way as as maybe he did in times past is because we feel like we don't need him as much. And when we get into a position where we desperately need the Lord, where as a former boss of mine used to say, if God doesn't show up, nothing happens. When we're in that position, God does move on our behalf. And it may not look exactly the way that it looked for you and your family. It may, I almost can promise it will look different for the other people that are listening today. Because as we mentioned before, God is so personal and he knows exactly what you need and the listener needs. And it may be very different than what you and your family needed in that moment. But when we allow ourselves to be that vulnerable with God, when we're not trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but instead we're opening our hands and saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. I need you. And more than that, I don't want to do it without you because your strength is made perfect in my weakness. You don't get any glory out of me being so strong, Lord. You get glory out of you being strong when I'm willing to admit that I'm weak. And so that's a little aside, but I just felt like, you know, your story demonstrates that so beautifully. Not that everyone has to lose someone, a precious person in their life to realize how much they need Jesus. The beauty of it is that we can just do that now. We can just say, Lord, I need you now. We don't have to wait until tragedy comes. We can just open our hands now and say, Lord, I need you so much. And when we do that, I believe that he will move for us in ways that we can see. And sometimes to go back to where you started, Sometimes I think we're so busy waiting for the big things. We're waiting for God to pay that $75,000 medical bill that we miss the smaller gifts that he gives us every day that sustain us until he is ready to move in a bigger way. And kind of like you were, you know, writing down your gifts. I did that too. When Anne's book came out, it very deeply impacted my life as well. And there's probably so many people listening today that could say the same thing because it was such a hit book. You know, I'm wearing glasses, you wear contacts. You can't see very well without your contacts, can you? Mm-hmm. I can't see well without my glasses. <laughs> and so until we're willing to put the gratitude glasses on, we may not see God moving in the small. And if we're not seeing him move in the small, then we may not be filled with faith that he can move in the big. And so I just mm-hmm. think that's such a beautiful yeah. picture of that. Tell us about Sean. 
Uh, this is the the fun part of the story, the redemption part of the story. So I met my late husband, Eric Lee, on a mission trip to Haiti. And on that same mission trip, one of Eric Lee's dear friends, his name was Sean, went on the trip. And we all went to the same church. We were all kind of in that young career stage of life in our 20s, not married, but working. And so that whole group of us actually became very close. There was nine of us. And then our pastor of our young adult ministry was with us and my mother-in-law. And so I actually met both of my husbands (laughs) on that same mission trip. (laughs) Kind of a strange thing to say, Mm -hmm. but... God was knitting our lives together even back then. And so Sean was a groomsman in Eric Lee and my wedding. He supported us in our ministry for years, both financially, prayerfully. Um, He lived on the East Coast for many years, but whenever he would come back to California, he would stay with our family. So he got to know my girls, you know, as they were born and supported us through that. And, you know, Eric Lee was a prayer warrior. And so every day, and I'm not exaggerating, he would pray for his friend, Sean, and for his future wife, because we love Sean so dearly. He was our single guy friend. And we were just like, okay, Lord, who do you have? Who do you have for Sean? <laughs> Little did I know that all those years we were praying for me. And so after Eric Lee went to heaven, um, Sean and I, you know, we just continued our friendship. We had a friendship that was long standing. He had even come out for Eric Lee's funeral and had spoken at the funeral. And he was on a trajectory of actually moving back to California from the East Coast. He had a mom who was widowed when she was younger, like his dad had died in his 50s. And God had been just breaking his heart for widows, especially through some Bible study that he was doing in his church. And so he just had in his heart that he wanted to move back to California to just care for his mom not really anything to do with me. And then Eric Lee got sick and passed away. And so then it was so interesting because actually the weekend of Eric Lee's funeral, Sean went to an interview at UCLA. He got to go to that interview in person because he was here in California for the interview. They hired him within a couple of days because of that interview. Little did we know that God was weaving this whole story together. And at the time, I was also studying the book of Ruth at my church. And I was deep in that story that I knew so well. But for the first time, I was looking at it through the lens of being a young widow and just asking God, like, what are you going to do here, Lord? How are you meeting me in my grief? And here was Sean, a faithful friend through the years who was praying for me. He was grieving with me. He knew my kids. And God began to change my heart and helped me to see him in a different light. And I started to get real nervous. (laughs) I was like, okay, Lord, what are you doing right now? This is my friend, Sean. And God changed my heart, opened my eyes. I was not interested in dating people, but it was like God just so clearly began to show me that he had brought Sean for me and for our family. And um, long story short is that we got married in 2016. And I call him my Boaz because I was studying that book of Ruth And I saw how God brought him as a kinsman redeemer, as it talks about in the book of Ruth, that he was someone who was part of the family already. Even my mother-in-law, Eric Lee's mom, when I told her that Sean and I were dating, she said, oh, he is already my adopted son. There was such a relief and a gratitude in her and a spirit of peace that God 
had absolutely orchestrated that entire what a thing. Gift. So Sean and I were married seven years ago and he officially adopted my girls last Christmas. We wished we would have done it even sooner than that, but with the pandemic and everything, he actually went to court and my girls changed their last name. So their last name is Gilmore Young with their daddy in heaven's last name and Sean's last name, which is Young. And I'm so deeply grateful for the way that God redeems stories in ways that we can never imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, tell us specifically, if you could give us just a few ways. I think so many times when you lose a spouse, whether it's through a death or whether it's through divorce, your gut reaction is to worry very much about how your children are going to deal with it or how, you know, it's not just about, God, how are you going to meet my needs? But it's also, how are you going to meet the needs of my children? So I'd love it if you could tell us maybe just a couple ways that you haven't already shared because you've already shared just such a full rich story, but maybe a couple of extra ways that God specifically met the needs of your children throughout this story. I would love for us to end on a note of moms listening, just being full of faith that God can take care of their children's needs during this time. Hmm. Yeah. I want to encourage any moms who are listening, who feel like they are living this story of grief. And like you said, whether that's through divorce or separation or through a death in the family, that we can pray for God to meet our kids' needs. And so one of my fervent prayers in those early days is that God would provide godly men for my girls to just help them to remember that they were daughters of the king, that even if their earthly daddy was in heaven, that they were loved. And just as a little scene here, I mean, I remember the first time we drove to our life group, we had been together with this life group for years, families that met every Sunday for a meal. And it was that first time after their dad died and my girl's going, mom, we're the only ones who are going to be there that don't have a dad. And like just the gravity of that. And in the midst of that, my prayers were answered through community again, because those men who were a part of our life group, who loved us dearly, who loved my husband dearly, they stood in the gap. They took my kids swimming. You know, They helped me watch my kids when I needed help, when I had meetings or work or different things. I remember one of the families even went with us when we went to pick out our Christmas tree that first Christmas, and that felt like such a hard and difficult tradition for me to carry on by myself. And so God allowed people to stand in the gap. And then specifically through Sean, because my youngest was little and she needed a daddy to hold her. And immediately she had a trust for Sean. And Sean just so gently parented her without knowing how to parent. I mean, he adopted from the start three little girls and had no real experience with that. And then I also saw how God provided for my girls' mentors. I think about my middle daughter, Giada. She actually was in a class we moved to a Christian school where my kids go to school now. And that year, her teacher was a male teacher whose wife had died of cancer the same year that her dad had died. And there were three kids in that class who had lost a parent. I mean, we're talking only about 25 kids in a class. And so just the fact that my daughter could feel so seen by this teacher and so much like she was not the only one in the class that was going through this grief journey, that there were other kids who were walking alongside her. That was such a powerful way that I feel like God provided for her and her need to not be like the weird one 
um, the one who was going through a different story. And so I saw things like that all along the way. I could talk for hours about ways that God provided, but those are just a few. And I want to urge mamas to pray specifically for those things that are on your heart. And sometimes we feel as moms like, well, I've got to cover all the bases. I've got to be the mom and the dad, and I've got to you know, be able to fix the cars and do the groceries and do all the things. But actually God can use his body, the body of Christ to come in and help to provide. And we don't have to do it all ourselves. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. I think one of my favorite stories I mentioned earlier that your, your story reminds me a lot of my friend, Tracy Lane on the day of the Virginia tech shootings. One of my favorite stories that she told me about, I didn't know this until I interviewed her because my husband and I were still living in Roanoke when this happened. But I came home and I interviewed her and I asked her to just tell me about the day and what it was like. And she said, you know, of course, we all had the news of the tragedy and and the details of it were developing and coming out as the day went on. And she said, I started trying to call Jarrett and I couldn't get a hold of him, but nobody could get a hold of anybody because the phone lines were completely jammed with parents trying to get a hold of their children. And and she said, finally, after several hours of not being able to get a hold of anyone and the news giving us more and more details, she said, I knew that Jarrett had a class where the shooting had taken place. And so she said, I just decided that I was not going to wait anymore. I was just going to drive over to Blacksburg and I was going to show up and I was going to find out what happened to my baby. And she went to the door and she opened the door as if to go on and get in her car and standing on the front porch was her deacon. Hmm. And he had come to get her and he looked at her and said, I'm not letting you go over there by yourself. We're going together. And Hmm. she never called him. Nobody ever called him and said, go get Tracy. Let's take her over. He just showed up right in the moment that Tracy decided I'm going over there. The Lord prompted him to say, I'm going to come over and take you. And I remember thinking when I heard that story, just exactly what you're talking about, the power of community, because God moved in his heart before he moved in Tracy's heart. He was already Mm -hmm. providing for her before she even made a decision. And if we're not in community as believers, if we're not in community, it limits the way it doesn't mean God can't take care of us, but it does limit some of the way that is available to us. And and we really are missing out if we're not a part of that. And your story just beautifully demonstrates and reflects that. Dorina, thank you so much for sharing your heart today. I didn't really ask you any tips or tricks. I didn't ask you to share, you know, steps to this or steps to that, but I didn't need to because your story illustrates that and gives us so many wonderful things to learn from as we're all walking through this. And I just pray that your story will benefit those that are listening and really give them the courage to believe that God can move in their lives as well. I know you have a new book that will be out. I don't remember when the date is. Tell us more about that and how people can get involved with what you're doing for the kingdom. Yeah, thanks, Brooke. My new book is called Breathing Through Grief. It's a devotional journal And it's basically a compilation of the last nine years of my life, the things that God has taught me on this grief journey. It releases on November 14th of 23. And so I want to just say, even as people are hearing my story, reflecting on this topic, that I never want to sound like I am prescriptive because, again, our grief journeys are unique. And so this journal is really an invitation for people 
to, yes, read about some of the things I've experienced and to get into the scriptures, but also to go on their own journey because we are all grieving in different ways. And I think the thing is, the only way through is through. We have to do that work. And so that's my encouragement and my passion in ministry is coming alongside women and moms and being able to say, let's make space for grief. Let's allow ourselves to you know, grieve alongside of our kids, especially as I think about blended families, which we're talking about today. There is hidden grief. There are things behind the scenes, losses that maybe you don't even know how to name. And so my book and my journal is really urging people to go through that process. And I'm here to be kind of a companion to encourage you, to help you know that you're not alone in that. So I'd love people to check that out. I also have a children's book called Chasing God's Glory that came out this year. And although it's not specifically a grief book, there is a little bit of our story and the grief thread in that and just encouragement to kids of all ages in any stage that we can find God in our everyday. And that can be in, you know, food, in creation, in suffering, in all of it. So similar message to what I shared today in my story. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with me today, friends. Don't forget to get your copy of our new prayer guide, Praying God's Word for Your Blended Family. You can find it and more about Darina Lazo Gilmore Young now in the show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Till next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Million Praying Moms podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Go check them out. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.